Hey, man. Hey, dude. What the hell? I'm wearing the Lakers fedora. It's what? my new podcasting hat. Why? What? Why? It's it's like it's for good luck. It's my new thing now. So the the good luck that this fedora is bringing was that I caught the stomach flu this morning and couldn't record with John Ireland. Well, I didn't have the fedora on when that happened. So <laughs> if I would have been wearing it, you would have been fine. I don't agree. Welcome to The Lake Show. I sound awful. Uh, I sound like Harrison looks right now. He was wearing... Hey, that's not true. The fedora's a good look for me. It gets rid of the hairline problems. (laughs) Like, I feel like a real journalist. I could put a press card in the little band up here and then end all my questions with C. Yeah, well, the problem, C, is that that hat, C, is a little too bit small for your head, C. No, I don't think that... it, It fits my head pretty well. The reason it looks ridiculous right now is because I have the headphones over it. Also, because it's like from the angle that I'm looking at, at yeah, you through it, your camera. Yeah, it's not a good from, angle. Like I'll, yeah. I'll have to, I'll wear it over your house next time, and then you'll, you'll see what it looks like in person. It's actually a good look. It's a funny Mia angle. Hmm. Yeah, Mia hates it. <laughs> She's right, Mia. You're I, right. I wore it to pick her up from Disneyland the other day, and she was not happy. It just be happy you didn't wear it to pick her up in the first place. Well, I wouldn't have her. Probably. Yeah. Do you get it? Do you get it? Uh, today, though, we are going to talk. It's going to be a fun show. I, as you can probably notice from my voice, got really sick today. Uh, I was supposed to interview John Ireland with Harrison at 10 o'clock this morning, but at 9.30 this morning, my guts were everywhere. Yeah, so, at 9.30 this morning, Anthony had the courtesy to tell me 30 minutes before our interview, like, hey, you have to run this whole one. And I was like, oh, I have to come up with like double the questions. It's really not that difficult. It John, was John Ireland was, speaks for a living. Yeah, no, it was pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, it was pretty inconsiderate of your stomach. I agree, jackass stomach. Uh, but so what we're going to do is we're going to react to the Dallas Mavericks win that the Lakers had by the time you guys are listening to this last night. Uh, we're going to react to that and the different vibe that you feel across all of social media after a game like that compared to the two games before that. Uh, we are then going to throw to the interview with John Ireland that I did not, I was not able to make. But Harrison said it's a really good one. Some really good information behind the scenes for, for what's going on in Luke Walton's season right now and how yeah, much work it was, he's putting it was- in. Yeah, there was some really good stuff on how much film Luke Walton is watching and how much like how hard he's working to make sure that he's prepared and addressing these teams issues. Mm -hmm. And there was also just some good stuff, some like stuff that'll make you feel like you went on the road or on the team playing with the team. Yeah. So uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Let's and then and then on the back side of the show or the the last third of the show, we are going to talk a little bit. We're going to answer your guys' questions. There's a question about Harrison's couch that I'm really looking forward to. We are going to also open up the second chapter of Byron Scott's book, and I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I learned a lot, actually, so I'm ready for this. But (laughs) we should get into the Mavericks thing, or the Mavericks win tonight, and I thought that, honestly, like, I know that you weren't that jazzed about it when we got on, but it's probably hard to get excited about anything when you're as sick as you look. Yeah. And (laughs) I I think, (laughs) uh, think, to me, 
that was a really good sign for this team because it's their second win without LeBron. They did it on the second night of a back-to-back on the road. And, like, you can say that the Timberwolves are better than the Mavericks, sure, but they aren't significantly better. And for this team, after how listless and awful the starters looked yesterday, for them to come out and play with the energy that they did, we're really in the first half. Whoa. It was bench, I felt like. The whoa, 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 the whoa, 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 whoa. They were down by 15 and by down by, like, 13 in the first quarter. Yeah, but they started playing better pretty quickly. Like the it was the really the bench that wasn't playing that well, at least in my mind. And then mm-hmm. and then in the second half, the starters really and then Beasley as well That's really sick. came on and were really really good. And like Lonzo and Ingram both kind of oh, Lonzo really only like didn't really flirt with a triple double. Josh Hart almost had a five by five if he had picked up his fifth foul. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know he actually made a joke about that on TV after the game. It was funny. And uh, Ingram I thought had one of his better games in a while and like all like kind of everything came together and it was all the young guys kind of trying to figure out how to get a win without LeBron and you saw them all kind of slotting into those roles that they need to take and starting to finally look comfortable and that's not an easy thing right like we've seen how awful the Cavaliers looked whenever LeBron James sat out like during those years like going from playing like with a gravitational force like LeBron to not having anything like that is really really tough So let's say the Lakers lose their next game at home to Detroit. Then what? Are we back to the hopeless nature? Like, are we? Are we? It depends on how they lose. Like, if they lose by, they like, shouldn't they, lose. Period last, to Detroit. Like, they, there were losses last week that didn't feel that bad to watch. It was the Knicks loss that was really, really bad. The Thunder loss was an acceptable loss to me. That was just yeah. Paul George was the best player on the floor, and you didn't have either of the two best players on the floor, and so you lost. And that's mm-hmm. just the way it was. But I thought they competed. And the Friday was the really, really disappointing one. That that game, I joked, I think I think it set basketball back 15 years. Yeah, and then definitely. whatever the Lakers did on Sunday, like set it back before it was invented. I, I just don't, I don't want to overreact to a single game while the trend is heading. Like it was the the way that the Lakers. I'm not going to use the word quit because because I, I I I don't really like doing that, right? Because that's that's inferencing something that that. Uh, that really I have, I'm not privy to. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but as much as as close as they can get to that, like that's their what... first quarter. Honestly, I'll say it. Their first two quarter, their first quarters against the Wolves and against the Knicks were quitting. Like yeah, that's just it, what it was. That was not putting in the requisite effort to win an NBA basketball game. I, you know what I did like? I liked Luke challenging Lonzo and Ingram. And they responded when they got to Dallas. They they had a talk with each other and told each other they needed to both step up, and they did. And, like, I like that they're both holding each other accountable as young guys. And not just that they realized they had to play better. They were talking about how they had to go out there and lead, and they had to do that kind of stuff. And that's the void that this team was missing. They were really missing having their two best leaders in LeBron and Rondo around. You know what's more important to me than any of this intangible stuff, though? That they won? Uh, No, that down the stretch of this win— Lonzo got the ball, brought it up by himself, went into an initial pick and roll, passed the ball out to Ingram, and the Lakers figured out, holy crap, Ingram is way better when he has a, a defense in motion. And and I think that's something that they can actually carry forward, not just in you know the rest of the, this next game without LeBron, but also moving forward for the rest of the season even with LeBron. That, that hopefully the Lakers can wake up and, and notice that this is the role, this is the type of player that Brandon Ingram is, no matter how badly you want him to be 
a primary scorer. He's just not that. He's not yeah, that Yeah, and he's, he scored all of his points in the paint tonight. He really showed how <laughs> devastating he can be as a cutter. Yeah. Which we've known all along, by the way. Yeah, and so and that's the that's the other thing that should give you hope is that's the type of skills. That's not him going out and getting you know twenty ISO buckets and getting lucky or whatever. That's him going out and doing things that he can do again once LeBron comes back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, other nice thing that that we saw was Michael Beasley once again kind of stepping into the rotation, Lance's spot in the rotation. I think that'll pay large dividends for the Lakers moving forward. Yeah, and like 13 points in nine minutes is pretty solid. So I think uh, he he was really good. And I I thought he was good against Minnesota. He was one of the only bright spots in that game. Yeah, yeah. I got really nervous when he got hurt, but um, it seems to me like he was walking. He was laughing on the bench. Mike Trudell reported on Spectrum that he would have been okay to go back into the game had the Lakers needed him. Yeah. All right, uh, that's enough of us babbling. We're going to throw to the portion of the show that you guys are most looking forward to. John was great. John has always been great, whether it was back with our previous show, uh, whether it's – I remember one time Jen and I were at a game, and uh, my our seats were, like, basically right next to where they call the, the radio uh, the the radio cast from. And it was heading into halftime, and uh, I was just – I you know, I saw John was just kind of sitting idly there. And uh, getting ready for the second half, and I just kind of like approached him really quick. I was like, "Hey, John, you you've come on Locked On Lakers before." And he's like, "Oh my God, Anthony, is this Jen? How how did you do that?" And he was like a really cool dude there as well. So shouts to John. He was Paul. a really cool dude and roasting you for your wife being out of your league. Well, I mean, I I can't I can't knock somebody for telling the truth. Yeah, that's true. We actually that <laughs> hey, he's he's like an underrated roaster. I had him talk about uh his roasting strategies of Geeter during it's their great. Spectrum podcast. And it's so awesome. um yeah. <laughs> uh so let's throw to that and when we come back we'll answer your guys' questions. All right, and now we welcome on John Ireland, the radio voice of the Lakers for ESPN 710 and a reporter for Spectrum Sportsnet. John, thanks for coming on today. I guess my first question for you is this. Are you just pre-writing your radio calls at this point since the team is losing the exact same way every time? Yeah, boy, it sure seems like it, doesn't it? Um, and, and But there's there's some indication that there is light at the end of the tunnel, Harrison. Um Number one, I don't think Josh Hart's going to continue to shoot as poorly as he is. It, it, it was weird. I was watching him warm up over the past two games, and he couldn't miss at warm-ups. And then he got in the games, and just nothing was falling. Um, my guess is Lonzo won't be held scoreless in games much longer. And um, I know this is going to air after uh, our Dallas game, but I'm hopeful that we'll see Kuzma back soon. If he doesn't play in the Dallas game, I'm pretty sure he's going to play in the Detroit game. Well, yeah, so, so the, I, I, they were saying that he was looking pretty good in warm-ups yesterday. So I'm, I'm guessing if he's not back tonight, then he will be back soon, too. Yeah, so I think there there is hope on the way. And, of course, um, you know, LeBron, uh, Michael thinks LeBron, Michael Thompson thinks LeBron is going to come back Sunday against Cleveland. Um, it's just a guess on his part. But it would be somewhat symmetrical that he would come back against the Cavs. But, I, I, you know, that's, that's unofficial in every way, shape, and form. But it, it, it's the, the weird thing, Harrison, is that it was less than two weeks ago. It'll be two weeks ago, um, Tuesday of this week, that the Lakers beat the Warriors. 
in Oakland. And Michael and I looked at each other and said, and when we we're being honest, we said, boy, is there any team in the West that you don't think the Lakers could give a series to right now? And we both agreed there wasn't. We thought they looked so good in that game, and Rondo and LeBron looked so good that they were really on track and, and maybe sooner than most Laker fans thought into being competitive. And then LeBron, the news of LeBron's injury came out, Rondo got hurt, and the, the car went off the road. So now, I mean, I think if you're a Laker fan, you're just hoping that they get all these guys back in time to straighten out the one-loss record and that they could somehow get into the playoffs, get into the tournament, and then they, they might be able to put a scare into people. But, you know, without LeBron and Rondo, they, they, they look a lot different. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's been the thing to me the whole time. Like, obviously, so I understand there's kind of, like, two mindsets going right now and that, like, the team has to win games because it's going to be a close playoff race. It's probably going to come down to a couple games to determine their seating or whether or not they get in and all of that stuff. So I get why it's important to win games, but at the same time, there's no team in the NBA that could lose its top two scorers because uh, Kuzma's out now, too, and its top two assist getters and just look fine and start winning a bunch of games. Like, any team in the entire league would be at a deficit in that situation the margin for error is so thin right and and i would also add to that equation the the two best leaders on the team are lebron and rondo those are the guys who are the most vocal those are the guys that kind of kind of steer the ship for lack of a better term and so without them um there's a leadership void and and particularly in fourth quarters uh, the Minnesota game was the first time in the streak since LeBron went out that they haven't had the lead going into the fourth. And the Minnesota game was kind of an abomination because they started in such a big hole. I think it was 22-3 to three at one point. Uh, but the other games, they actually had a chance to win. They were in the lead going into the fourth quarter, and there was just, you can tell, without Rondo and without LeBron, that there seems to be somewhat of a leadership void. And, and you would hope that somebody would step into that, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, right now, I mean, that's what they're looking for. And it's fun. They talk about this after every game. You hear it, I hear it. Like, it's just, they, they keep talking about they're losing the same ways and how frustrating that is. And I think that that's what happens when you don't have those guys that are tone setters for you and that are making sure that the team is kind of doing things the way that they're supposed to be done and all of that stuff. And re they just haven't had anyone step up to fill those spots. Well, and I know Luke Walton believes strongly that it, it's when the team, he, he's, he said on the record, and, and I've heard him say it privately a lot too, that the, the minute the team figures out that um, it's their team and not his team is when you turn the corner. He said when players become accountable for each other and for what happens on the court, you know, Luke's always said, I'll coach him up and the staff will coach him up and put him in the best position to win. But when they realize that they're in it together and it's their team is is when you, you really, you know, start challenging for for division titles and conference titles and, and making it to the finals. And Rondo and LeBron are the two guys that beat that drum the loudest. Kuzma for a young guy beat the two. And so if you were gonna take three pieces off the board, um, taking Kuzma, Lonzo and LeBron off the board is just devastating. And you're seeing that play out now.
Yeah, and it's uh, they're just it's not even just that they're out. It's the guys who are replacing them and the guys who are being asked to like not only like you're asking Ingram to basically play the LeBron role and you're asking Lonzo to be Rondo and then you're having all of these guys come, that haven't really played or have played sporadically come in and have to play big roles and that's just it's just not a recipe for success. So like I, I wanted to get into this because I get this could change a lot obviously if they beat the Mavericks tonight. So just we can maybe di- we can disregard this if they end up beating them. But like what is the mood like on the road right? now because I, I just I feel like the team's body language has not looked great in the games they look a little hopeless but this is just me observing from afar so I get I wanted to have you on since you're out there with them what is it like out there right now like do they seem as kind of defeated and downtrodden as they look in the post-game interviews and as they look on the floor I think they're a little bit in shock um about the and you hit on it earlier when you said they keep losing the same way um, you know, uh, they'll get to the fourth quarter when the game's being decided and they'll try and play hero ball rather than hot potato, which is what they have to play. They have to move the ball. And and it, it tends to stick for whatever reason in the fourth quarter. So I, you know, I know they've talked about it. The coaches have shown it to them on film. But it's not for whatever reason sinking, sinking in. And guys who normally make shots aren't making them. I mean, Hart's the best example of that. He's been so good in the year and a half he's been here, and and I I don't know what the exact numbers are, but over the last two three games he's just his his outside shot in particular is just not there, so that would help if they start making shots. But it's a fair point. What you're seeing on TV in the locker room is is they're down. They're a little bit disappointed that they've been unable to to win more than one game since LeBron went out. Well, and, and so frankly, no, go, go ahead. Uh, and frankly, you know, these guys all know that that the Lakers are in a transition period, not only this year, but this summer. So a lot of guys, I think, feel like they need to show what they can do in order to either advance and get more playing time this year or even maybe stick around on the roster next year. And so they might be pressing a little bit too. Yeah, and I think that that was always that was kind of a known thing that this was going to be this was the audition year. Like they didn't take a bunch of the young guys and trade them for Kawhi or do whatever over the summer to try and bring in more immediate help. They didn't do that because they wanted to see how this young core and how this roster could fit alongside LeBron before they made those decisions. So I'm sure that there is extra pressure there. The the other thing that you hit on was that was Luke talking about them losing the same ways and like specifically him highlighting this stuff to them in film and him bringing this stuff up. So a lot of people, you know, because I've made that point, like, all he can do is make the guys aware of it. And then a lot of people come back with the, like, kind of counterpoint of, well, then if they aren't becoming aware of it based on his talks, isn't that somewhat of an indictment for him? And, like, I think just overall, I've seen there's just been a tone on social media and in other places in our comment section on the site, like, of people wanting to blame Luke for this. But then, you know, you have the pushback on that. You have Kobe last night telling people to relax. You have Ramona's report from last night that the front office doesn't really see this is Luke's fault. I mean, as someone who's around the team all the time, like how do you quantify this situation and like what a coach is responsible for and how much of this is on the players and that kind of thing? Well, I, I can tell you this, you know, because I, I get to see how much time Luke's putting into all this stuff. And um, he's, he's working hard to get him out of this. He's doing, I think, everything he can. Uh, but he can't go out there and play for him. And, and as you indicated earlier, he can't make up for the loss of the two best assist guys and the two leading scorers. Uh, you take those off the board on any team, and I think that, that leads to the, the report Ramona had, that 
the Laker front office is more than likely not blaming Luke for this losing streak. Now, having said that, um, Luke would be the first to tell you he knows and the staff knows they need to win. Um, you know, wh- whatever the circumstances are, there are expectations on this team that they need to improve and they need to win this year. And when you get LeBron on your team, when you get the best player in the league on your team, expectations go up across the board. So um, is it fair? Maybe not. Is it reality? Yeah. I mean, and Luke would be the first to tell you that, that the Lakers are going to have to find a way to win this year or there's going to be changes. Now, whether or not that those changes would include him, I don't know, but they, they're not going to stand for another losing season. I can tell you that. Yeah, and so, like, obviously he's aware of that pressure. Like, he'd have to be, like, he'd have to never look at anything, like any news clippings, like, not, like just get rid of all of his common sense to not be aware that, of course, there's going to be, like, a spotlight on him during this season with these raised expectations. But you said that he's been doing everything he can. What does that look like? Like, what is it more, like, are you seeing him just on the team on the team plane looking at more film, doing stuff like that? Or what, like, how do you quantify that? I'll tell you a funny story. I've never seen in the last two, three months the way the plane is configured, the players sit in the front, the coaches sit in the middle. The plane's divided in three sections. Yeah. Players sit in the front. The coaches sit in the middle. And everybody else, including me, sit in the back. And so I've got to walk past what Luke is doing, both when I get on the plane and when I go off of it, because you only enter and exit out the front. Um, and Harrison, I have never, ever seen him not looking at film. Every time I walk by him, he has a laptop with a game on. Uh, with a Laker game on. He he sits next to Jesse Mermis, one of the assistants, and they're constantly going over film. They're constantly um, – I'm, I'm friends with the with the video guys, and they are constantly making requests of the video guys to make specific cuts so they can show players exactly what they're doing. Um, when we land in a lot of these cities, including when we landed in Minnesota on Saturday – we need to divide, and, and this has not always been the case over the years. I've been, geez, I don't even know how many coaches I've been through, but I started with Phil, actually started with Del Harris, and then Phil, and then everybody since. So all the Rudy Tomjanovich, Phil again, Mike Brown, Mike D'Antoni, Byron Scott, it, you know, Luke. Um, we didn't always do this, but we do it now. If we land in a new city, the players go to practice or go to an arena immediately to get them acclimated to that city and we go to the hotel and we've got to split all the luggage. So I've never seen Luke really take any time off as long as he's in this job. He's just constantly grinding. So you know, when I say he's putting the work in, that's how I would quantify it. I, you know, there, Phil was, was more of a big picture guy. He would look at the schedule and Phil and the coaches would get up really early in the morning and get together, but he would try really hard to give the players a lot of breaks. Luke keeps the players pretty engaged. They, they're, if, if, you know, he very rarely cancels shoot around, very rarely cancels practice. And even when they aren't shooting and aren't practicing, he's working. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it does. I think so. Is that like more film and stuff like that than in years past with him? Cause he's been here. This is his third year now. So that, I guess that's what I'm, I'm most curious about. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I saw him looking at film the other two years, but this year I've just been paying more attention to it, I think. Uh, number one, because they've been struggling lately, and number two, because we have LeBron. Yeah. So that's a new challenge. Um, 
and I've just noticed that he's he's got his, for lack of a better term, he's got his head in a book the whole time. Like like in, in this case, it's his head in a laptop, um, and, and and he's you know he's trying to figure out different solutions. But I would I mean it, I I think you and I in 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 talking about this are a little guilty of overanalyzing it. I think you hit on it in the first five minutes. Take the best two scores off of any team. Take the best two assist guys and take the two best leaders and then, then see what the record is on any team. I think it's as simple as that. And again, Harrison, like th- that game I talked about, the Warriors game, less than two weeks ago, I thought they looked close to unbeatable. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, that that, that feels cool. like two years ago now. Like it has been right. a long weird? two weeks. Uh, so it's, it's kind of unfair to ask these guys to solve a puzzle without all the pieces. Um, and, and hopefully we're, we're getting all those pieces back in, in the next you know week to 10 days. Oh, yeah, I 100% agree with that. I just wanted you to clarify because, you know, you're somebody that's with the team. I wanted you to clarify for people who may be listening to this and have taken issue with Luke's coaching strategies throughout the year that, like, this is not so, like a lack of work that he's putting in and things like that. Because, no, I, well, yeah. I, and I will, I will say this. I mean, every Laker fan is going to have an opinion, and they're entitled to it, and the Lakers have fans all over the world. So you get more social media reaction. I mean, as you're learning, you know, in yes. the places that you've been, you get, you, you know, just the word Lakers generates a ton of passion. It's, if, if you want to criticize Luke, you're entitled to do that. Every coach has been criticized. It's not work ethic. That's not the problem. He is working as hard as any coach I've seen, and I've been with the team for 20-plus years. So he's working. His staff is working. Now, if you want to talk about specifically the things they're working on or the decisions he's going to make, I mean, those are – those are questions that every coach gets questioned about, but it's a, it's it's not you know it's not a guy who's sitting back and and not trying to do anything. That's not an issue here. Yeah, obviously. And so I want to move on now to like a couple more general things about the seasons because you know I want to I want to you know ask this stuff and then get you out of here. So I, I you mentioned the LeBron thing and how big of a difference that makes. What is do you think the biggest difference about having like LeBron on the team this year and just just like the atmosphere around the team? Well, here's the biggest difference that I don't think people focus on enough. I've I've tried to communicate this on my radio show, and it's it's a little thing. Um, you know, on the surface, but it's a big deal when the games are actually played. Think about this. I'll use the uh, Oklahoma City game, the last home game, as an example. Um, When LeBron is on your team, that automatically takes the other team's best defensive player and puts him on LeBron. So if you watch that Oklahoma City game closely, The Thunder are an excellent rebounding team. They're an excellent offensive rebounding team. When that game went to the fourth quarter and the Lakers had the lead, Billy Donovan very smartly told his team, look, don't necessarily focus on offensive rebounds. Get back on defense. We want to turn this into a half-court game. And we're going to put Paul George, who's one of the best two-way players in the league, on Brandon Ingram. And if Ingram tries to win the game for him, He's going to have to go through Paul George. Now, Harrison, let's say for a second that LeBron played in that game. Well, then Paul George is guarding LeBron. And and Brandon Ingram then can maybe go to work on Terrence Ferguson. But he didn't have that chance. So when LeBron is on your team, he automatically usurps the other team's best defender. And that means Kuzma's going against 
defender two or three. Ingram's going against defender two or three. Uh, so is JaVale. So is Lonzo. You ever notice that, how all the other Lakers tend to look more open and get better shots when LeBron is on the floor? It's not just because LeBron's a great passer. It's because the other team's best defender gets used up. And I think that's something most fans don't notice. So now, in these games, you know, they've gone, what, one in five since LeBron got hurt, or one in four, I'm not sure. Um, it, it, to me, the biggest difference is now the other team's best defender can go to Ingram or can go to Hart or can go to Kuzma or whatever Laker is giving them trouble. If you got LeBron on your team, he's like, you know, having this eclipse of an offensive player that, that sucks up your best defender. And I don't think people talk about that enough. Yeah, that's actually something that I've been writing about a little bit. It's not just right now that the Lakers are asking these young guys to do, because they are, by the numbers, their usage rates are higher than they've ever been, Ingram and Lonzo. They're not just, but they're not just asking them to do more. They're asking them to do more while there's more defensive attention on them than ever, which is just, like, it's not anything on the coaching staff. Or, that's just where the injuries have put them. That, and that's, like, an unfair position to put them in on some level. LeBron is, like, a, like a black hole that, like, sucks in, it's not just the opposing team's best defender, it's all this defensive attention. Like, if LeBron is near you on the court, you're panicking on offense. That's just how it is. And so all of these guys, of course, there's going to be more spaces and more openings and things like that. And you're just going to look a lot better if, like, if your guy is halfway distracted because LeBron might try and drive to the basket and does he need to come and help down on him and things like that. Right. And then you used to say, um, in my early years with the team, that if we could keep the game close until the fourth quarter, then we could just Kobe the game. We would use Kobe as a verb and, and just say, you know, you can put the <laughs> ball in Kobe's hand and he'll win it for you. And and that's, you know, LeBron's the same way. That's, you know, if we had LeBron in these four or five games where we've had the lead going to the fourth quarter, then we could just LeBron the game in the fourth quarter. But without him there, then what do you do? If, if you decide you're going to let Ingram try and win the game for you 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 have to realize that the other team's best defender is going to be on ingram so it's harder yeah it's not the same thing and so uh, the other another thing um we got into this a little bit earlier about the young guys but like so there's been kind of the difference around the team one of them that i've noticed is like the last couple years they were this young like fun growing team they didn't have a whole lot of pressure like so the locker room was generally pretty light like on long losing streaks it would obviously get down and things like that but do you feel like the vibe just overall outside of results has changed around the team this year like is there more of a seriousness than there was over the last couple years with all these veterans around well, I, I would challenge the premise of your question. I would say it's based on the results. Um, and and you, you said it when you asked it. You said, you know, in past years when they lost, um, it wasn't too big of a deal because the expectation level was so low. The expectation here is so high that when they lose, there's legitimate disappointment because they feel like they've underachieved. In past years, they would say, well, we'll get better when we get older or you know, when we get a star. And, and, you know, I think most people know that Lakers have max cap space, so the room's going to change again next year. But this year, the expectation is they they should compete in every game. And when they don't, I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a, a level of disappointment and frustration that didn't exist because there was no expectation level in the past. Now there is. Yeah, I mean the the post game lo- the post game locker rooms the last couple get home games have been le- it's been like a funeral atmosphere almost like these guys are like as defeated as I've ever seen them honestly. 
Well, keep in mind, too, that they're, th- these are leads they're blowing in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That in those last couple of home games, they had the lead, took it into the fourth, and then in their minds inexplicably gave it up. And, and what I think they're realizing is there's a reason these all-NBA guys are paid what they're paid. They're great closers. Guys like LeBron and Paul George and, and you know, Steph and Durant, you know, they're, they, they're paid to be at their best when the game is on the line. And and some of the Lakers are, are still trying to develop that skill, and they don't have it yet. Yeah, that's for sure. So I want to end on a lighter note. Now that I've compared the post game atmosphere to a funeral, uh, what, most fun <laughs> most fun story from the road so far this year for you? Most fun story from the road so far this year. It hasn't been, um, you know, because this these last couple of road trips have not included LeBron. When LeBron's not here. Um, it's a different vibe uh, because he's he's very lighthearted. He plays loud music. He's fun. His people that he travels with, like his guy Randy Mims, and Randy still comes with us even when when LeBron doesn't. But um, his trainer Mike Mencius, I mean, all these guys, you know, kind of contribute to the vibe. I guess I would say I, I what popped into my head when you asked it is that um, the Lakers in the past two or three years have gotten very serious about nutrition. They've taken all the desserts off the plane. They've done a lot of things that uh, we have a nutritionist, a woman named Kristen Andrews, who's really, really good. She orders all the food on the road. She orders all the food on the planes. She prepares stuff for these guys. I mean, she travels with six trunks of different stuff. She does, I mean, it's just a whole new world when it comes to nutrition. But, What's in conflict, Harrison, with that is they still want to make rookies do rookie duties. They still want to send them out. <laughs> and so they, they send Wagner out all the time to, and, and you know, some of, the, some of the other young guys, when, when they get called up off the G League team, they'll, they send Wagner out to go get stuff that isn't approved nutritionally. Like, like he'll, they'll send him to Krispy Kreme or they'll send him to In-N-Out or they'll send him to places that don't – and so it is so – and Kristen understands that. She's, she's pretty easygoing. So if Wagner walks on the plane with six dozen donuts, she lets it go. She'll say, all right, it's a one-time thing. These guys are on a pretty strict diet. I'll, I'll go ahead. And, go. and you should see how people get excited over the littlest thing, like the <laughs> fact that someone has snuck a dozen donuts onto the plane or that someone has snuck in and out onto the plane. And and the level of excitement is so disproportionate to what we're normally used to. And they and like they'll look at Kristen like they're gonna get in trouble and she you know, like she gets it. So she says, Look, it's a one time deal, it's a rookie going to get donuts. Go, go ahead, you can eat a donut. You know, just don't eat them every day for a week. And and, and so I, I would say what's been the most fun is when these guys get set up to do rookie things, we never know what's coming, but it's going to be something unusual. Um, I, I'm sure you've noticed that they make those guys walk around with unicorn backpacks. Yeah. And they make them, you know, they make them dress goofy. And, you know, we don't have a lot of rookies on our team, but the, the fact that when, when Wagner and Bonga and those guys are around, it's kind of fun to see what the veterans are going to make them do. 
And when Walton was a rookie, he used to get bossed around by Shaq. So he's got, you know, he lets the veterans do whatever they want. And the end result is often pretty funny. So it may not have happened yet, but that's what popped into my head in the last. No, that's actually, that, it's, it's a hilarious image to picture these guys that are like, they're, they're millionaires getting excited over like a couple boxes of Krispy Kreme, like, like their kids or something. That's actually, that's pretty amazing. Um, so this, this is the last thing I have for you. I've been watching the pregame shows a little bit more this year, and I've noticed that pretty much every single one, you figure out a way to like sneak a burn for Geeter in on uh, Chris McGee right. of Spectrum Sportsnet. So I'm yeah. uh, just me personally, I am curious when and why did that all start? Is it just because Geeter so easy to roast? Well, no, it is. He's, uh, I don't know how well you know him, Harrison, but he is a great guy. I mean, like, you know, he, he, he's you the won't best. Find you won't find a nicer person than Chris McGee, and you won't find anyone who dislikes him. He's, like, impossible to dislike. So that's how this all started, like, three, four years ago, to the point where it was he's so positive, and, he, and they were making him read all this negative stuff, you know, because the team was down and blah, blah, blah. And so my whole – I'll, I'll let your audience in on the joke – my whole bit every time I come on those shows is just to make Eater laugh. That's the only thing. And you can't do it by being nice to him. You have to go the other way. Yeah. So I'm constantly trying to come up with ways to surprise him. And then it became this running joke, like, Worthy. I'm pretty good friends with Worthy. And they all kind of look forward to what I'm going to come up with to make fun of him. Uh, because that's the bit. And and this year, because they hired Allie Clifton, um, I'm not on every show. I'm more, I'm like on probably half of them. So uh, when I get my opportunity, uh, because they use Allie in the locker room, sometimes they use Brez in the locker room, but other times they use me. They use Trudell every game. He's he's the one constant. Yeah. But um, when, when I'm asked to do, and normally, I, almost every road game I do because it costs a lot of money to send Alley or Prez on the road. They'll, they'll call on selected trips, but normally it's on, on like a one game trip. Yeah. So that's the whole the whole bit is it's a it, it's actually um, a a reverse deception. People think that like I'm trying to give Peter a hard time. I'm trying to make him laugh. I, I literally am trying to get him to break character because if you watch those shows, you'll notice that. It's a pretty straightforward show almost every night until I get on there. And then I kind of try and derail the train a little bit. <laughs> and it's simply, it's simply be, to make those guys laugh and give them a, give them a break, particularly when we're, you know, we're not winning. I'll, I'll try and come up with, um, I'll make reference to something in Peter's life. Like I'll always ask him to, you know, to say hi to his boys. He doesn't have boys. He has two girls. <laughs> And so I pretend, like I pretend that I don't know that. And uh, you know, his wife Jess is really cool. I pretend like I forget her name. And you know, it's just it's a the whole it, every every time I like tonight when you see me come on from Dallas, I will try sometimes unsuccessfully, but I will try and come up with something to make Geeter last. So that's that's the whole origin of that of that bit. Okay, well, there we go. I, I've, I've just always been curious, like, watching the pregame stuff, so that's good to know. All right, John, I am not – I already – I think I went over, like, by, like, 10 minutes what I told you that we'd take, as usual. Oh, that's okay. And you were very generous with your time. We appreciate it, and uh, we'd love to have you back on down the road at some point this season. 
Anytime, man. Look forward to getting home and, and uh, hopefully getting LeBron back. Yeah, hopefully Anthony can like show up for the next one, but we just we couldn't trouble him to get out of bed in time to record this. I guess. Uh, okay, we'll we'll invite him to the next one for sure. All right, I'll talk to you later, John. Thank you very much. All right, see you, man. Bye. So thank you very much to John for for hopping on with Harrison. Uh, I'm sure he would have preferred that I'd have been there, but you know, sometimes things uh, just I think don't. We work did out. okay without you, honestly. It was like a it, it, there was a distinctly like less amount of hot air in the room, so it was nice. Well, it was cold this morning. Yeah. Well, anyway, so like, we should go to the iTunes mailbag. Before we do that, though, I have an apology to the listeners. I called all of you out on the last episode for not leaving any iTunes reviews. Turns out. <laughs> As Mia coughs in the background or sneezes in the background, uh, it turns out. So that was her guest appearance for this episode from the last episode. I mean, I told you guys to leave me some questions and you didn't. And or I said that you didn't. It turns out you did. And they just didn't get through like the iTunes process, like moderation process, whatever that is for reviews. So we're going to answer those real quick hitters this week. So we have this one from AJ Das, who says uh, he just says. Like, ever since that Kings game where Kuzma dropped 33, I've been wondering, is he the best player from the 2017 draft? I know you have Fox, who's been balling, but Tatum and Mitchell's progression hasn't been what most expected, and I think Kuz has been better than both, especially considering he's the third, even fourth option at times. I am not there yet. I don't think he'll ever get there. Yeah, I, I think... I think Fox has definitely been better this year. I know Tatum has stalled a little bit, but he's still very good. And I he believe was very Fox good is also, like, two years younger. That's true. Yeah, you have to consider that. I mean, this isn't a knock on Kuzma. Kuzma is very good. Kuzma's probably a top 10 player in that draft. He's thoroughly outplayed his draft position, which is all you can ask Easily. for. Easily. Yeah, he's just, I, I wouldn't go that far yet to say my, that he's second. My, my one, I guess my one concern or my one gripe it's with Ingram. Thomas Bryant. <laughs> yes. Uh, my one gripe with, with Kuzma this year is that like he hasn't lived up to my expectations of him heading into this season, which might be more a me thing than a him thing, right? Like he can't control what I expect of him. I thought I think he's been good lately. It's just uh, before he hurt the back, obviously. He wasn't mm -hmm. very good tonight. But uh, I think he's been good lately, and I think like he, he stalled out a little bit at the beginning of the year when he wasn't really in the right role. But once he started playing alongside LeBron in the correct role, I, I thought I think he's been really good. I, I think he desperately needs LeBron James back, which like— Well, so speaking so of guys who need LeBron James, uh, LeBron James back, this is from uh, Trip B4C who asks, uh, would it be worth it to build a Vita Zubats' stock playing next to LeBron since he returned, since they fit well, to make him worth trading anything of value since we seem to be so deep at center? I'm not sure, number one, I'm not sure that the Lakers are deep at center anymore. Tyson looked okay in the fourth quarter tonight, but has mostly not looked good in a few weeks, not for any extended stretches. Mm -hmm. JaVale again, also looked pretty good in the fourth quarter during the minutes he played, but he's looked spotty over the last couple weeks. Yeah, that, I, think, I think they're on the right track. You. They need to play Zoo once LeBron comes back. They need to shift Zoo into a bigger role because he fits so well with him. But I also think that, like, I, I don't think that they should trade him at this point. I think they need to give Tyson Chandler, like, a week off. Yeah, and playing Zoo when LeBron comes playing Zoo a bunch more when LeBron comes back would allow you to do that. Yeah, so I, I think they need to allow Tyson Chandler to take a week off. That allows maybe Zubots to play a few more minutes alongside LeBron. In terms of like trade value, teams don't make trades based off of like two week stretches. Yeah, if, if unless a team they believes were just in, in love with guy if, before. If a team believes in a player, 
they aren't going to change their minds based off of a week. If they don't believe in a player, they aren't going to change their minds and then all of a sudden say, we got to get them based on a week in the other direction. Yeah. And I, I again, I also think like Zoo actually will help the Lakers more with LeBron than he can help them as a trade asset. Well, because I, I mean, think you'd get that much more as a trade for him. In, I don't think you'd get that much for him in a trade. No, I don't. I don't think you would. It would. It would. Yeah. Mostly, he would be a a part of another bigger trade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So I. So then this brings us to our final one. Uh. It says. So this is from at Maddie G underscore funk. And it says this question is uh, for both of you. How well has Harrison adjusted to the controversial new couch in his home? Happy New Year. All it has not been a happy new year (laughs) in the Fagan household with John Wall, the couch, because first of all, I was already like you. All the listeners heard. I was not happy about this couch already when we first got it. And then now I find out like the back support is horrible it's like made my back and neck problems worse by sitting on it. And it's the only it's so big that there's no room for any other chair in front of our TV. So I have to sit on this pain inducing couch <laughs> with like back supports just to try and watch Laker games. And like, you know, if I want to do anything else on TV, but mostly that's the only TV that I watch. And it's just it's driving me crazy and I hate it. And now I understand why the Wizards want to get rid of John Wall. I hope we have time at some point to embroid wall on the back of your couch. <laughs> no, that couch is that couch is not long for this world. I'm going to burn that couch when we move to L.A. in like a couple of months. I'm going to set it on fire in the apartment, and we're going to see what happens from there. Have you found a place already in L.A.? Not yet. Oh. I'm thinking, worst case scenario, Coach Pete's basement. He's got a nice place. I know. That's what I'm saying. He's got room. He would also murder you by like week four. Oh, Pete loves me. Um, so I think that brings us to Byron's book club for this week. So I, I had to read chapter two. Chapter two you is had called... three weeks to do it. I know. Well, I read it like the first day, and then I had to go back through today, at, like what I highlighted. I'm like, what did I learn from this chapter? So um, chapter two is joining the team, and it talks a lot about Byron's experience joining the Lakers, like as you would as you would guess, probably based on that chapter name. So I'm just going to read a couple quotes from this chapter because I really thought that they taught me a lot about how to succeed in life. And so uh, he talks about when he was growing up, kind of growing up in a tough area, and he just says, from time to time, I'd have to throw down, but I spent more time hitting jump shots than hitting faces. <laughs> let that be a lesson to all the, Just let that be a lesson to all the kids out there. Like, hit jump shots, not faces. Byron Scott. <laughs> Get buckets, not knockouts. Yeah, exactly. So uh, he talks about how when like he would enter his only interaction. We got got to go back. We got to go back. Doesn't his doesn't his like have you ever been in a fist fight thing? Like, how do you feel about that now? Well, he so clearly he's been in a fist fight. He's just hit more jump shots than faces. That doesn't mean that he's hit no faces. That just means that he's hit more jumpers. Right, but like, how is he? Like, where, how do you think he he wanted the the young kids on that Laker team to uh, to prioritize things? Well, he probably wanted them to hit more jumpers than faces. But he's just like, hey, if you're not hitting jumpers anyway, you <laughs> might as well hit some faces. <laughs> and instead, D'Angelo Russell put a face on the internet. We don't talk about that anymore. Um, he talked about how his only interactions with Kareem were Kareem telling him to get me some water, Rook. Um, and he would just <laughs> say, whatever you say, Cap. Uh, then we got, what else do we got? Other amusing anecdotes. That says a lot about his coaching tenure. Yeah, so he learned. that's how he learned that veterans should interact with young players. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so he says, so he says, 
But I've always had the mentality in basketball and in life that when someone knocks me down, I'm going to wait until they forget about it and then knock them down even harder. <laughs> Did he just this call himself a possum? <laughs> this is a real passage. <laughs> Did he just call himself a possum? I guess uh, no. He called himself like he's gonna like he's gonna wait till your back's turned and then he's gonna hit you. And then he's gonna coach in the NBA again. And then he's gonna hit more jumpers. Like he's gonna hit two jumpers just so that he hit more jumpers than back faces. Yeah. <laughs> um. So he talked about like how he didn't like Danny Ainge and like their ongoing battles and like nobody likes Danny Ainge. Nobody so that's, Danny like fair Ainge. point, Byron. Yeah. And like I I, I didn't wow. really learn anything from that because I agree with Byron Scott. Yeah, I mean, I think to have success, you need to not like Danny Ainge because otherwise he's going to fleece you in a trade. But yeah. if you hate his guts, you're not going to trade with him. Yeah. Like, that was the key to those Miami Heat runs was just Pat Riley was never going to trade with Danny Ainge. And so, <laughs> like, he couldn't get fleeced. Didn't he, he released a, a he public like, statement. Oh, yeah, giving you LeBron sounds like a great idea. Didn't he release a statement publicly about Danny Ainge? Yeah, I think he released a statement saying that Danny Ainge should <laughs> shut the F up. Yeah, that's amazing. I love yeah. that, right? So uh, he released it through the Heat PR person. I want to get rich enough one day that I can release statements telling people to shut the F up through a P- PR person. I'll st- I'll settle for being rich enough to be able to pay like an intern to to grab my quotes and put them on my Twitter page. So like Pete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need that. I need- I'm going to get Grant on that tomorrow. We're going to have him start like quote, quote graphicking this podcast. <laughs> it's going to be that quote about me making him do this. Couldn't it hurt? Couldn't hurt. Okay, so this is uh, – I think this is the last – yeah, this is the last highlight. So he's talking about like the Danny Ainge and like how he didn't like him and stuff. And uh, he said, so when we meet the Celtics again months later, Magic knew that Ainge had it out for me and gave me some advice on how to get him back. I was ready to bring out the switchblade on him so I would take all the advice I could get. Wait, what? And then Magic basically gave him advice on like to when he's going up for a shot to elbow Danny Ainge in the face at that point because they call a foul on him. Oh, yeah. Swing- so, wait, then you're hitting faces and shots. Yeah, so what does that count? Well, that's a one-to-one ratio. That's a really efficient face-hitting to jump shot no, ratio. No, no, no. Technically, it's a, it's a two-to-one ratio. Oh, because if you hit the two free throws. Well, no, no, no. If you, hit, if, you get, if you make the bucket and you go to the free throw line, or, well, either way, yeah, it's a two-to-one ratio. Yeah, so. Solid I just advice. That, I just thought that I was ready to bring out the switchblade on him was an interesting passage to make it into the final. <laughs> Final cut of this thing. Wait, what's the context there? I So he says, Magic knew the Ainge had it out for me and gave me some advice on how to get him back. And then so this is Byron talking about his feelings. I was ready to bring out the switchblade oh, on, on Ainge. Got yeah, it. on Ainge. Not right. on Magic. Yeah, well, I, yeah I, I wasn't listening, and then I, that caught my attention. That was wild. Yeah. So what we learned from this chapter is that you need to punch people in the face, but not more times than you hit jumpers, and to always carry a switchblade in case Danny Ainge approaches you. And that's how to be successful in life. That's what I learned from this chapter. All solid lessons, really. Like you want to hit Danny Ainge in the face, you want to hit more jumpers, and then you want to carry a switchblade. Yeah, hit Danny Ainge as much as possible, but make more get shots. Get Abdul to bar his water when he asks for it. <laughs> And then relay that message on to kids when you coach them later in life. Exactly. You're like, you should have gotten Kobe water. Just say, yes, Cap. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That'll do it for this episode of The Lake Show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you again to John Ireland for hopping on. And thanks, Harrison, for for carrying the water here while while I was losing all my body's water.
Yeah, no, I was uh, I was happy to step in and, you know, write six posts today. I wasn't planning on it, but, you know, I'm sure you're going to make it up to me. One day. One day. One day. <laughs> <laughs>